This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. Hey, say that with me. Live it out. Say it louder. Live it out. Point to somebody around you and just say, live it out. We've been in a great sermon series on how to live out your faith. What I know is great things are always accomplished when we have courage in our life. And today I want to talk to you about having courage, having courage to live it out, to live out what God is calling, what God is desiring, and what God is going to do in each and every one of our lives. Let's just ask the Lord to bless the word as we dive into his word, that he'll speak to our hearts. I believe that there's an anointed message that God has for us today. God, as we open your word now, we know that it's the anointed word of God. And I pray, God, today that your word will speak to our heart, our life. It'll illuminate our path. That, Father, it'll bring revelation to our spirit. Father, let us lean in. Let us be ready to receive. And, Lord, let there be an I will that rises as we hear the word for us today. And all God's people said amen and amen and amen. Great things are always accomplished through those who have courage. It might be somebody that's rushing into a burning building to save a life, to save one that might perish. It was the courage to to move. It's not just their job. It's something that rises up that says, I'm going to save a life. We've all seen uh, the the pictures and, and, uh, you know, videos and, and newsreels of somebody that jumps into waters that are raging, where somebody is stuck. They're being swift away. Maybe it's a person or an animal and they're they're going to rescue them. If they don't, they're 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 doomed to die, but there's courage that does the right thing. A few years ago we took our son to Bible school up in Boston and we had a chance to go and and see uh, uh, where the pilgrims would have come across on the Mayflower and uh, a model of that Mayflower and and to, and to tour the museum and to walk through that little bitty ship that they would have come across and to think of the courage it would have taken to come across the seas. Today, travel for us is easy, but then it wasn't. To come across the the deadly sea to the hope and the dream, the courage that was driving them, that there's a new country that they're going to. There's gonna be a new life. They're building a new home. It was courage that took them. I watch a show. Anybody watch the show uh, 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 Gold Rush? Anybody watch Gold Rush? Hey, there's a few of us out there. It's clean. They don't, you know, they beep out every bad word and, you know, you're not dealing with all that other stuff. But I think about in 1848 when the Gold Rush took place in California and, and Alaska, those that would have been traveling west, taking their family and going up through the, the, the freezing weather of Alaska in the hopes of of something new. That takes courage. But I also think of individuals, individuals like uh, Harriet Tubman. Harriet Tubman fought the evils of slavery. You see, as a, as a woman, she, uh, even in her elderly age, would take 13 different missions to go and rescue over 70 that were enslaved, fighting the evils of slavery. That takes courage. Can I hear an amen? I think of Rosa Parks, Rosa Parks, who took a stand, believing that all are created equal in God's eyes and that all have equal rights and refusing to give up her seat that would begin with many other things that God was doing to bring what we see today in freedoms here in America. Can we say thank God for people like Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King Jr. and so many others? I think of Jonah Ark. Jonah Ark, who stood by her faith, and she would be burned to the stake. She would give her life for the cause of Christ, not to deny the faith. Jonah Ark and so many other martyrs. Boy, I think of Charles uh, uh, Lindbergh, who would fly the very first nonstop flight. Now think about it. 
that very first nonstop flight from New York going across the seas to Paris. The fear, the, 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 the wondering, would it, would it be possible? Would it happen? Would he make it? And yet courage that drove him. Or Mother Teresa, who lived among the poorest, the poorest to, to help them to learn to thrive, leaving the comforts of the West and to minister to them. These would be what we would call heroes. Heroes that had courage, heroes that would take a, a, a step that they would say within them, I will. In fact, when you look at their lives, there's something that weaves them all into the same thread, and that is courage. And courage always makes a decision to say, I will. Now, the problem is that sometimes we look at these kinds of people and, and individuals and we think, oh, those are just a certain type. They're, the, they're, they're cut from a different cloth. But can I tell you that it's not just heroes that make a determination that says, I will, but everyone, anyone can show courage in their life. So turn to your neighbor and say, be courageous. There's courage in you. What I know is that it takes faith. It takes courage to live out. It takes faith to have a walk with God and to do great things for God. But living out your faith always takes courage. When I walk through scripture, I can see biblical characters. Boy, we could walk through one biblical character after another who was courageous. People like Noah and Abraham and Moses and David and Elijah. I mean, if we took time to study their lives, and we do regularly throughout, uh, you know, uh, throughout our walk with God, but these were individuals that had courage. In the New Testament, you see Peter and Paul, you see the disciples, you see uh, Stephen and others. They lived out their faith with courage. When you study the, the early church, you see uh, a church that was striving to, to walk with God and to be what God wanted. In fact, the scripture says they turned the world upside down. Could that be said of us in Fort Lauderdale, that we turned the world upside down for the glory of God? Can someone just give him praise? Missionary journeys, planning new uh, churches throughout the, the New Testament, throughout the, uh, the European nations and Middle East, it took courage. Well, today I want to talk to you about that courage. I want to talk to you about a character in the Bible that shows, regardless of age, regardless of, of a prominence. He, he, in fact, was a very, uh, in, you know, he was a, a leader that wasn't very prominent in Scripture. He was one that kind of served in the background. And yet when the moment came, he had courage, courage to say, I will, courage that rose up. And there was a commitment that says, I will. If you will, Lord, and if I'll be given the opportunity I will. And that's what I know changes things for the kingdom of God. Now, I'm just wondering, as I get ready to preach this message, if there are any courageous people here today. If you're not, I pray by the time I'm done, there's a warrior in you, there's a warrior spirit in you that's about to rise up and is about to say, yes, Lord, let it be. I will, I'm determined, and God bring forth that courage. Is that you? Just wave to the Lord and say, that's me, God. I will, I will, I will. Today, our story is about Caleb, the life of Caleb. Caleb shows us one who had great faith. Caleb shows us one that had passion and courage. He had a heart to serve. He was committed, and he said, I will. And when we look at his life, we see something that's taking place, and it all comes back to his commitment to say, I will. The story of Caleb starts in the Old Testament. It can be found, first of all, in the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 13 is where we see really the story of Caleb beginning to emerge. Now, the story of Caleb, by the, by the way, is recapped over in Deuteronomy chapter 1. So in Numbers 13, we get the story. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, there's a recap of what took place. The Israelites, the Israelites have been in bondage for many, many years to the Egyptians. And 
they, we know through God using Moses, one that had great courage, God releases the Israelites. They're moving towards the promised land. Now, the promised land is the blessing. It's the prayer. It's what they've been crying out for. It's what they've been waiting for. Your promised land is that prayer you've been praying. It's a prayer for a loved one. It's a prayer for your son. It's a prayer for your career. It's a prayer for something in your life. That was their promised land. It was the answer that they're waiting for that they've been praying about. They get freed from slavery, and they're on their way to the promised land. Now, right before they get ready to go into the promised land, Moses sends out 12 spies. 12 spies, one from each tribe, are going to go, and they're going to look at the land, the promised land, Canaan, all the way up Neviv, and, and all the way into the hill country. It's a rough terrain. Enemies are living Enemies are living and are willing to fight so that they could not get to their promise. And by the way, the enemy is willing to fight and he's willing to do whatever he wants and whatever he needs to try to do to stop you from getting to your promised land. But if you're courageous and there's something in you that says, I will, I will be determined, I will be courageous, I will keep moving, I'm telling you, there is a release that will come to you. I'm declaring it today. Well, they get sent out by Moses and they start this journey. By the way, just to contextualize it, it's about a 250-mile journey all through enemy territory. They don't have chariots and horses. They're, they're, they're warriors that are going through the land and they're scouting out the land. 250 miles, that's by foot. That's about going up to Orlando or something. And you're scouting out the land and you're, you're on your way. So a round trip would be 500 miles. It's going to take them 40 days to take this trip. Now, what are they scouting out? What are they doing? Well, the spies are going, and they're going through the land to see, first of all, are the people weak or strong? Are there many of them? Are there few? What does it look like? What's the land like? Is it good? Is it bad? What's the cities like? I mean, are they fortified? Are they ready for battle? Are they warriors or are they unwalled? There's no protection. What's going to battle? What's the battle going to be like? You know, what's the land like? Is the soil fertile? Is it, is it poor soil? What, is it barren? What are the trees like? I mean, they're scouting it all out and they're going to bring back a report. Now, by the way, in Numbers chapter 13, it says that they were to bring back some fruit from the land so that the Israelites could see what was in the land. And the fruit at this season that they would have been going was grape season. So they would have been seeing grape vines everywhere and they were to bring back their report. Well, the Israelites, the congregation is ready. They're waiting. There's a, an excitement. They're waiting for the report to come back on what the promised land, they've been praying for it. They've been believing for it. What's What's in the promised land and what's the report? Well, the crushing, horrible, and shocking report that was about to come is that there's enemies in the land. And by the way, there's always giants and enemies before your promised land. There's always a battle, a spiritual battle, a fight, and there's a warrior spirit in you and I that's got to be willing to fight it. And the, uh, the Analekites and the other enemies, three other enemy territories and, and enemies in the, in the land were huge. They were giants. We looked like grasshoppers. There's many of them in the land. And boy, the people are huge and big and the cities are well fortified. The buildings are large. We cannot penetrate. We cannot win this battle. And they bring back a report Man, it amazes me as a pastor. Moses knew that this was the plan of God. Moses knew that he was leading the people to the promised land. Aaron's with them. Aaron knew. And they're, 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 they're ready to move in. The people have been praying for it. They've been excited about it. And all of a sudden, two, two of the 12 are the only ones that believe. Ten of them bring back a report. Man, the enemy works like this. He brings back a report of fear and doubt. 
a, a report that it's impossible and, and, and they feel defeated and, and we can't do it. And they even exaggerated the report so that, that, that it began to seem worse than it really is. And the enemy always does that. He'll exaggerate. He'll whisper in your mind, nobody likes you. I have no friends. Nobody in that church cares about me. There's nothing I can do. Nothing's going right. Man, the enemy just starts exaggerating it in our life. And that's what they did. And they turned the heart of the congregation. Frightens me as a pastor, by the way. Moses knew what God's will was. In fact, now I'm going to ask Moses when I get to glory, why did you even send the 12 spies? Why were you collaborative? Why did you send them? Why didn't you just lead them and go? But he sent them out and they came back and the heart of the congregation is turned and they miss the promised land. Lord, help us not miss our promised land. Help us not miss, God, what we've been praying for. Help us not to miss what you're about to do. Let us not miss the glory that you're about to release. Let us not miss, oh God, the hand of anointing that you want to put on us. Can I hear an amen? God, I receive it. Lord, let me fight fear. Let me fight unbelief. Oh, God, let me fight. Let me fight in the spirit. Let me have a warrior spirit that's within me. But the people rebelled. They grumbled in their tents. They talked about Moses. They talked about God. They talked about Joshua and Caleb. Why? Joshua and Caleb were the only ones that saw it. And yet they turn the heart of the people. And so God's verdict and, and edict was that none would go into the promised land except for Joshua and Caleb. That a new generation, and by the way, that has nothing to do with age. I've learned for years in the church, a new generation can be just about three or four months or a year or two. It's those that rise up and begin to have a will to say, I will. And there's courage that begins to rise up in their spirit. But a whole generation is forbidden to go into the promised land. 45 years go by, 40 years go by, and, and Moses passes. And now Joshua is given the mantle of leadership. And for five years, they're fighting the enemy's territory. And, 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 and they're beginning to take back uh, 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 the promise that God had given to them. And, and they're conquering. And now we pick up the story in Joshua chapter 14. And it's 45 years later now. 45 years later. And we pick up Caleb in our story. And I want to read that to you. I was sharing with you, telling you the narrative. But I want to read to you now in Joshua chapter 14. This is 45 years after he first went and spied out the land. And Caleb said to Joshua, he's his buddy, right? He says to Joshua, remember what the Lord said to Moses? Moses was a man of God about who, about what you and me, when we were in Kadesh Barnea, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land of Canaan, which is the promised land. I returned and gave an honest report. But my brothers who went with me frightened the people from entering the promised land for my part what I did, I wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. So that day, Moses solemnly promised me the land on Canaan on which you were just walking will be your grant, your portion of land and that of your descendants forever. Why? Because you wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. Joshua says, now as you see, the Lord has kept me alive. Can we just say amen to that? The Lord has kept me alive and well. Just as he promised for all of these 45 years since Moses made that original promise. 
Even while Israel wandered in the wilderness, today I am 85 years old, and I am as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey. And I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. So God, he's praying and he's saying to Joshua, God has promised it. Moses declared it. And God, it's my time. It's my time. So he says, so give me that hill country. Give me my portion of the land that the Lord promised. You will remember that as scouts, we found the descendants of Anak living there in great, they were in walled towns. But if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of the land just as the Lord has said. Can I hear an amen? My declaration right now over you is that something is about to break. God is about to release your portion, the promise, the dream, the prayer that you've been praying, that which you've been working for, that which you've declared in one revival after another revival after another revival. I'm declaring and praying that that is released over you. Can I say amen, amen, amen? What was the secret for Caleb? Well, I think the secret for Caleb can be found over in the book of Numbers. Remember I said it started in Numbers chapter 13, but in chapter 14, there's a little secret as to why Caleb is going to receive this portion. Let me read it to you, Numbers chapter 14, verse 24. But because my servant Caleb, the Lord is saying, has a different spirit, underline it, and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it forever. What was the difference, and what made the difference, and what was the secret? Is Caleb is not like the rest. You see, there was something in Caleb that was different. You see, Caleb was looking at the same thing all the others were looking at, but there was something in him that was different. He didn't see the limitations. He didn't just see the enemies. He didn't just see the circumstances. He had a different spirit. Can I hear an amen? I love what the Message Bible says. The Message Bible says he had a different spirit and he was passionate for me. Over in the New Living Translation, it says he had a different attitude and he remained loyal to the Lord. I'm wondering if there are a few in here today that are gonna say before they leave today, God, I'm loyal to you. I'm committed to you. I'm gonna have a different spirit and a different attitude. I love what the Living Bible says. It says that he was a different kind of man and he obeyed the Lord fully. What I'm telling you today is when we get to a place where we say, I will, I will, and there's a commitment and a determination in our heart, there is a different spirit that we take on and we take a hold of, something begins to change in us. He had a different spirit. Living in this day and age, we need a different spirit. We don't need to be like all the others. They can be other believers or there can be people that can believe all kinds of stuff. It doesn't matter. I mean, they went out, 12 of them. They were brothers. They were going out. They had journeyed together. But Joshua and Caleb had a faith. And the Lord says of Caleb, he has a different spirit. Different spirit is something that holds. That different spirit is something that's determined. It's a tenacious spirit. I mean, it's a tenacious spirit. My son has a French bulldog, a little stocky thing. It looks like Tasmanian devil. Man, he'll, if I, and he eats everything. He eats sock. He'll, and you give it to him, he eats it. And one time I gave him something, it was some food and, 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 and it was a bone with some meat on it and, and I gave it to him and he bit into that and I was, I mean, I lifted him off the ground. You know, I, he, was, he was holding on to that. There was a tenaciousness. He wasn't gonna let it go. I'm telling you, there's gotta get a tenacious spirit within us that says, I'm not gonna let it go. I declare it. You see, they had been, de they had been wandering in the desert They'd been wandering in the desert, but now the portion that God had for Joshua and Caleb was about to come. I wonder if there's any Caleb's in this house today. 
Turn to your spirit and say, turn to your neighbor and say, you need a Caleb spirit. Go ahead. You need a Caleb spirit. Point to somebody else and say, be courageous. No more wandering. No more slumber. No more. We're going to take hold of what God has. I'm declaring and what I know. What I know is a church, a church that has a Caleb spirit within it. A church that has a Caleb spirit will make a major spiritual impact. They will receive their promise. They'll claim their territory. That which the enemy is occupying. They'll begin to move the enemy out of the way because there is something that's in them that says, I'm going, I'm going, I'm moving. I will, oh God. And that's the kind of spirit. I don't want you to miss this. What made Caleb different? What was the difference for Caleb? That gave him courage when others doubted. I believe it's because Caleb and Joshua had tasted of the blessings of God. See, they tasted of the blessings. And when you taste of the blessings of God, all of a sudden it gives you a different spirit. Look here, Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 24. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land that he went to and his descendants will inherit it. Now, if I go a little bit further, if I go down to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 36 It says, Caleb believed and followed the Lord, and he was given an inheritance in the promised land. You see, why did he get it? It's because he believed, and he believed it because he had tasted of the blessings of the Lord. In Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 25, it says that when they were in the promised land, they brought back And as they brought back, they brought back the fruit that was in the land. It was grape season. So they were bringing back a cluster of the grapes. And as they brought it back in Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 25, it says that that which was brought back was good. And it was a good report. And and over in Numbers, I'm linking these two together. In Numbers, it says that the valley was so fruitful that it was unbelievable. In fact, a single cluster. Now hear me. When we go to Publix or Winn-Dixie or wherever we shop, we will buy a little bag of grapes. We don't understand this. But it says that it was so fruitful that it took two of them to carry a cluster of grapes when they were coming back. That's how big and, and, and scrumptious they were. In fact, they even named that valley the Valley of Escol, which means that it's full of clusters. So why could he have a different spirit? As I believe it's because he had tasted of what was in the promised land. Okay, okay, picture this with me. Here they are, Joshua and Caleb. They've got a pole. I, 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 I should have illustrated this out, right? I, 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 here's Joshua and Caleb. Joshua maybe is uh, in the back. Caleb's in the front. They're carrying their cluster, right? There's so much they're carrying their cluster. And as they're walking, remember, it's a, it's a, it's a 500-mile round trip. So let's just say that they grab that cluster on the way back. Who knows how far they're having to walk, but maybe it's 100 miles or 150 miles. And sometimes your journey is going to take some time. You may not get there tomorrow. There might be a promise that you got to still fight for. And here they are. They're carrying. And oh, there's a point in that one too, but I ain't got time. They're carrying their cluster. Caleb's in the front, Joshua's in the back, they're getting tired, they're getting sweaty, right? He's looking, Joshua's looking at that cluster, and he reaches out, and he takes a bite. (laughs) How many would have reached out and taken a bite? I would have. Reaches out, and it's big, man. (sighs) Squirts in his mouth, right? Pastor Kevin, do I have any grapes in here? I don't know, I got my grapes, you know. Just, oh, it just, just. Caleb looks back and says, what are you doing? (laughs) Joshua says, Caleb, you got to taste this. This is so good. So Caleb reaches back. 
I can taste it. And Caleb goes, well, that's good. That's good. And they're, they're walking and they take it back. You see, I think something got into Caleb because he had tasted of what was in the promised land. You see, you can't come into a worship service. You can't come to a night's ablaze. You can't be in Christian Life Center and not taste of the glory of God and realize that God is good and his ways are good and that God will protect and lead and he will provide that he will be with us no matter what we go through. There's promises that we can hold on to. You see, the revelation is that when you taste of the goodness of God, when you taste of the fruitfulness of God, when you've tasted of the character of God, and you've watched God do it before, you've watched him do it for others, you see what he's doing around you, there's something that makes you believe he's going to do it again, and that he'll touch you as well. And that's what Joshua and Caleb knew. And Caleb had a different spirit because he had tasted So, Father, I just pray that we will taste. We will taste of the promises. We will taste of your blessings. We will taste of the glory. Lord, someone say it with me. Give me a glimpse of your glory. Lord, give me a glimpse of the goodness and the riches and the promises that you have for us. You see, for Caleb, it wasn't just theory. It wasn't just something he grew up with and, and that it was some static sermon. It was, it was just something he was waiting to get through. No, no, no. He had tasted. He had experienced it. It was real to him. Why did Caleb plead with the Israelites? He pled with them. Why did he do it? It's because he knew what was in that promised land. He knew the blessings of God. He knew the character of God. He knew that they would be safe. He knew that God would be with them. He knew God would fight for them. He knew God would continue to take care of them. Why? Because he had tasted of the promises. And today I'm praying that we will taste of the promises of God. That as we enter into his presence, that we'll receive salvation, mercy, grace, that we will experience his character, his ways, his nature. We will experience a joy and a fulfillment. We will experience God personally in our lives. We will encounter him because when we do, there's something that begins to happen to us. Can I hear an amen? Well, you can't taste of the goodness of God and then not begin to embrace what God has for you. To begin to embrace the will of God, the plan of God, the purposes of God. See, God's blessings give us confidence. When we taste of the goodness of God, there is something that rises within us where others are doubting. We don't doubt because we've tasted. And and, and as we've tasted, we've developed something within our spirit, a confidence. And that's why Caleb could rise up and say, we can do this. Don't be afraid. We can go into the land before they turn their backs on what God had for them. In fact, I can imagine for the 40 years that they wandered in the wilderness, how frustrated Caleb and Joshua would have been. I would have been pretty frustrated that you made me miss my blessing. You, you, you held me back. You, you, you turned your heart. You, you believed those guys that, that they didn't have an eye for what God wanted to do. They didn't maybe taste of what I tasted. How frustrated. And yet he remained involved. He stayed in that community. He didn't leave that community. He stayed involved in it. And he just continued to lead and serve. And he continued to believe. And he continued to walk through those years. Well, Moses passes and Caleb and and, and Joshua now are remaining. Joshua takes leadership. He was Moses' right-hand man. But Joshua and Caleb are now beginning to fight battles. For five years after Moses' death, they're fighting battles. They're bleeding. They're dying to conquer the land. They're facing the enemies that are all around. And, And Caleb is just fighting right along next to them. And then the day comes where now it's his turn to get his portion of land. He turns to Joshua and he says, you remember, you know, 
you know what God told me, you know what God said, and you know God will do it, and I'm as strong today as I was then, and I can fight, you see me fighting, and that's my portion, and I want it because it's the purpose that God has for me. Now let me explain that our purpose is our assignment. God's plan and purpose for you and I is a life mission for you and I. And when we taste of the blessings of God, we cannot help but to embrace the purposes of God. When you see what God has done, you can't help but say, God, use me to fulfill your purpose. Your assignment is your life mission, and it comes from God. It's not from me or a church to call you and to give you your life mission and your assignment, it comes from the Lord. You see, you can tell me no. You can tell somebody else no easily, but you can't tell God no easily. You can say no to me, but I want you to pray before you say no to God because your assignment comes from the Lord. It's his plan and his purpose for you. Your assignment is linked to your spiritual gifts. God equips you and empowers you and enables you to do what he's calling you to do in your life mission. Let me say it again. I don't want you to miss it. Is God gives you what you need so that you can fulfill and embrace the purpose that he's calling you to do. And you can move in confidence because you've tasted of the promises and the blessings of who he is. We teach here and, 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 and we have it on our website that we can help you to learn how to discover your anointing, how to discover what God is calling you to do, how your gifts, how your ministry moves you into that which God is, is desiring for you to do. When he calls you, he empowers you. Why? It's because he's giving you a mission and that mission will move you. And when you move into the purposes of God, there will be a reward that will come one day. And when we stand before him, we will then hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Why will we hear it? It's because we've embraced his purpose and we've moved into the mission that he has for us. The thing that many believers miss is if you don't move into your life mission, if you don't move into your assignment and your purpose, you will be accountable to the master. You see, I, I can take, I can take a, a sense of, of, of confidence in knowing that when I understand my divine design and my shape, when I understand how God is created and, and, and how he's empowering me and the anointing that he places within me, us, to move into my life mission, that when I stand before him on the day of accountability, and there will be a day of accountability where all that I've done on my life mission and on my assignment will be evaluated by the master himself, that I can stand before him and I know, I know that as I move into my life mission and into that assignment, there will come, well done, my good and faithful servants. But so many are sitting in churches, maybe even in our church, and they're not fulfilling their life mission. Oh, they just want to hang out and eat the grapes in the promised land. But you see, you taste of the promised land to embrace the life mission. And when we move into that, there is a joy that begins to fill the sails of our life. And all of a sudden, it moves us beyond anything in the natural that would hinder us. Why? Because we've seen him. We've tasted him. Our eyes are on it. And we know one day we will be rewarded. And one day we will be accountable for how we've used the gifts that he's given to us. Caleb had a different spirit, and I'm praying, God, you'll make us a church with a different spirit. You see, in a lot of churches, only about 20% of the church serves their, with their spiritual gifts, fulfilling their life mission. But a church that turns a world upside down, a church where the glory of God can rest and it shines bright into that uh, community and around the world is a church where there is a spirit that rises up. It's a Caleb spirit. It's a warrior spirit. It's a spirit of a, commitment, a committed servant that says, I 
will. I want to read to you a scripture. I know our time's coming short. Hang with me for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 says, Paul is writing and he says, in a race, everyone runs, but only one will get the prize. So run your race to win. To win the contrast, the the contrast, what was that? Contest. You must deny yourself many things that would keep you from doing your best. See, the problem is many believers are not denying themselves of anything. They've not learned to discipline their desires. They feel entitled to everything that the world has and everything that the world is doing. They rationalize and justify. They make excuses of why they're not running their race. But Paul says to the church of Corinth, and by the way, they had written a letter to Paul because there was a lot of problems in the church. They were asking Paul if, if, if he would address those problems. He was the apostle that had helped to start the church. So they're writing to their spiritual father. They're writing to the apostle that has helped to, to establish them. And Paul's response is, in a race, everyone runs, but only one gets the prize. So run your race to win. You have an assignment. You have a a divine mandate, a purpose from God, a life mission. And Paul says, run it to win. Because in this contest, you're going to have to deny yourself many things. We don't like that. But Paul is saying this is what it means. And that you would keep running. An athlete goes to all of this trouble just to win a blue ribbon or a silver cup. But we do it for a heavenly reward that never disappears. So I run straight, Paul says, to the goal with purpose in every step. Underline that, purpose in every step. I fight to win. I'm not just shadow boxing or playing around. See, what I've learned a long time ago as a pastor is if, if we have an unclear purpose, in our life. It's going to drain us of energy. It's going to drain us from serving the Lord and doing what God wants us to do. And we will be running, but there's not a run of our race with purpose and intentionality. The longer you live your life without knowing the purpose for your life, the less passion you're going to have in your life. Passion and purpose go hand in hand. So the more you can discover what your life mission is, that Caleb's spirit will begin to rise up and you'll begin to fulfill what God has called you to do. Can I hear an amen? Well, Joshua had that spirit. He's running his race. He's believing for what God is going to do. And as he comes to the very end of this uh, story, he comes to that moment where he's saying, now give me my portion. Give it to me because I believe that God is going to strengthen me. He's kept me alive and he's going to use me and he's promised me and I know that we're going to conquer it. Man, when I hear that, there's something that begins to rise up within me. The last and final thought that I want to share with you is that when we taste of the blessings and the promises of God, It'll lead us to embrace the purposes of God. The purposes for you and I today is to fulfill the mandate and and the divine design and and to begin to, to see what God has laid before us. We call it your ministry, your anointing. And by the way, you've got to learn to discover your anointing. You've got to understand what your spiritual gifts are. They're not just your natural abilities, but they're spiritual gifts that God has given to you. And when you discover it, you can step into that which God has for you. In a sense, there's an I will, an I will. In fact, I love what Paul says to young Tim- Timothy. He says, Timothy, fan into flame your spiritual gift. 
it into flame. Don't let your spiritual gift die out. Don't let it, don't let it become a, a little, just a little flicker that's taking place. But fan that spiritual gift into flame and boy coming out of a season like we've come through this pandemic we gotta fan that flame we got out of using our gifts so we gotta fan that flame so it begins to burn bright again because Paul says to Timothy it's in you it's in you and I want you to fan it into flame why it's because Paul knew that Satan, the enemy of your soul, would try to blind you and get you off of your focus. But if you fan into flame the spiritual gift that's in you, you'll get back on your life mission and fulfill the divine purpose that God has for you. But it comes to an I will. It comes to a commitment that says, God, I will embrace it. I believe it for my life, and I'm willing to walk into it. That's why Paul would say to the church of Corinth, eagerly desire these spiritual gifts. So if you've never taken a time to study and, and, and determine what your spiritual gifts are, let me say that, that we, we can help you. And in fact, as a church, we've provided a lot of, a, a lot of resources and, and assessments and, and teaching that'll help you to begin to discover what are those spiritual gifts and how has God anointed me so that I can fulfill my purpose in God and the life mission that God has for me. If you've never taken a spiritual gift assessment, you, you haven't heard about the spiritual gifts and you don't really understand what your spiritual gifts are, I want to encourage you this week to go to our, our website, clcftl.org. And as you go there, you can go to the serve page. I think it's even on the front page as you come onto the home page of Christian Life Center. And right there, when you click on it, it's going to bring you to, to some assessments and, and teaching and things that help you to discover what your spiritual gifts are. That brings us to the final thought here is Caleb tastes of the promises of God. Caleb embraces the purpose of God and he's determined to partner with the Lord. Going all the way back to Joshua, he says, I will drive them out of the land. I believe, God, you're with me. I believe that you're walking with me. And God, I believe that you're going to give me what you've promised to me. So today, as we come to the end, I want to once again declare it over each one that's here. There's promises and there's blessings and there's a portion that God has for you. But there's got to be a determination that you're going to partner with God. And there's something in you that says, God, I will, I will, I will, I will. I sat this week and I thought, why are there so many Christ followers that are not serving and walking and partnering with the Lord to fulfill his mission and his mandate. What hinders so many? I don't know what it is for you, but for some, what hinders them is that, 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 that they, 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 they don't understand what their spiritual gifts are. For some, they're chasing trivial pursuits of life and, and all kinds of stuff that they're giving their time to and their energies to. And, and, and in a sense, not intentionally, but they're giving their life to other things instead of what God would have them to give their lives for. For some, it's the cares and the weight of, wor of the world and, and the pressures and, and the things that are stealing their focus. For many, they get so busy, there's no margin in their life to serve God. They're busy with work, they're busy with family, they're busy with all of these different pursuits, and they don't have time to serve the Lord. Somebody wrote me some time ago and said, I'm getting my priorities straight, and they listed several things, and, and, and nowhere on their list was serving God. You see, we got to be careful to understand that the promises of God lead us to the purpose of God, but it requires us to partner with God. I can taste it. I can know that I've got to embrace it, but be, be, between embracing it is a commitment that says, I will, and that's where I determine I'm going to partner with God. Some people say, well, God couldn't use me. Oh, he can use her, he can use him, he can use them. 
but he never could use me. Well, the next time that you think God can't use you, I want you to remember this. Noah was a drunk, but God used him. Abraham was too old. Say it with me, but God used him. Every time I read one, you say it with me, God used him. Isaac was a daydreamer. Now you're catching on. Jacob was a liar. Leah, she was ugly. Joseph was abused. Oh, come on, say it with some passion. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson had long hair and was a womanizer. Oh, my goodness. Rahab was a prostitute. God used her. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David had an affair and committed murder. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. Oh, my God. <laughs> Woo! Lord, help me not get there. Jonah ran from God. Naomi, Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt and had a nagging wife. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep when praying. Martha worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than once, but God used her. Zacchaeus was a short little one, but God used him. Paul was too religious, but God used him. Timothy had an ulcer and sickness, but God used him. Lazarus was even dead, and God used him. God can use you. We've all got issues, but God is calling you. The question is, will you partner with God? That's why Paul says to the, uh, or excuse me, Peter says that each and every one of us should use our spiritual gifts to serve others. Why? Because we're faithfully managing God's grace in all of its various forms. Give the Lord praise. As we come to the end of this service, I want to tell you, when you taste of those promises of God, it leads you to embrace the purpose of God. And as you embrace the purposes of God, it will lead you to a commitment. It doesn't automatically happen, but the commitment is, will I partner with the Lord? If you partner with God, hear me now in these final moments, it'll begin to lead you on your divine mission. It could be in music, it could be in entertainment, it could be as an author, it could be in the public schools, it could be as a lawyer or a doctor or a janitor, it could be in any professions of our life, and it's especially going to be used in the ministry and the work of God, but you're partnering with the Lord. And Caleb was faithful. As I reflected back in my own life and my own journey, I grew up in a Christian family. My parents were children's workers in the church. We were a military family, so we moved every couple years. And in every church they went to, there was needs in the kids' ministry in every church. So my parents would begin to volunteer and serve, and I found myself working in kids' ministry. I could run the puppets, you know, I would help share stories, I could help people, you know, help them, you know, get the kids all, uh, you know, corralled together, and I began to find that I was serving the Lord in kids' ministry. In every church back in the day, they would bus in children, and my parents had a gifting for busing in children. My dad had gotten saved in a busing ministry himself, and so there was a, a burden to, to serve those that couldn't find their way to church. Their families wouldn't take them to church, and many times we found ourselves busing in immigrants or those from the inner cities and those that had no way to get the church, and we would bust them in, and I grew up doing that. When I became a teenager and, and, and our church began to do street outreach and street evangelism and street witnessing, every Friday night I would go out evangelizing. 
It wasn't led by a pastor. It was led by a leader of the church. Even when we were in Miami, we would go into the deep, deep, deep parts of Miami on Friday nights. I'd be witnessing to somebody and he was doing a drug deal and he would say, I'll be right back. And he'd go do his drug deal and then he'd come back and I'd continue witnessing with him right there. Every Friday night. I felt a call to ministry. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know how you prepared yourself. I didn't even know there was a Bible school, but I felt the Lord calling me to ministry. And so I began to inquire about what does that mean? And I found out that there are places where you go to prepare to be in ministry. And so I found myself in Bible school. Now, I barely made it through high school, so I shared that a couple weeks ago. So now I'm in Bible school trying to figure out how to pass tests, and I'm just saying, God, I'm just here because I feel called by you to be used by you to help your people be what you want them to be. But week, week, month, month, year, year, I found myself growing. During those times, I kept serving I got involved in every church and every school that I was going to. I'd get involved in the local church and I'd be in the youth, I'd be in the kids, I'd be in their evangelism team. And then the time came to get my credentials with the Assemblies of God. Now that was 30 plus years ago. And when you'd get your credentials, you had a requirement that you had to preach 12 times a year. Now, Elena, at that time, I was young. I was, I was 20 years old. I was like, how am I going to preach 12 times a year? Who's going to let a 20-year-old up on stage and preach? How am I ever going to do this? And one of my mentors said, well, you can preach in nursing homes. You can, you, can, you can preach in kids' ministry. You can preach in youth. You know, wherever you're sharing God's word, you can preach. And so I joined the nursing home ministry. And every week we'd go to the nursing home. Now my motive, Pastor Charles, you talked about motives in prayer service earlier. My motive maybe wasn't right at that time, but I found myself in the nursing home ministry. One of the best ministries I was ever in. I'd preach the service. We'd go from room to room and do visitation. They'd tell me about their children, their grandchildren, their lives. Now, I'm an introvert, so man, I was overloaded. They were giving me a lot of information. But I was learning to care. I was learning to love. I was learning what ministry really was. By the way, I learned one of the greatest lessons I ever learned in ministry, and that is live a life of no regret. I'd go from room to room to room and eventually they'd begin to talk about their regrets. And I would walk away saying, God, help me not to live a life with any regret. And I'd preach in that nursing home. Now, the thing that they had in the nursing home that you don't have is my auditorium was the cafeteria. And they gave me the time for the service right before lunch. And if you've ever worked or gone into a nursing home, they follow a schedule. So when it was lunchtime, they opened up the walls, the food started coming in, and that service was over. I remember one of my first weeks there, an older gentleman came up and he said, Pastor, we're glad you're here. We love, we love, we love when you guys come and share. And then he leaned over to me and Sasha, he said, but we like it short. <laughs> uh, but I learned, I learned to develop the gift. I learned to develop, I'm still learning to develop the gift. And God was growing me. From there, we became youth pastors. My wife and I began to fill the call to missions. I never thought I'd be a pastor. In fact, when I first was starting, it was only about serving God. It was about I tasted in the promised land and I was embracing the purposes of God and I was saying, God, I will partner with you. In fact, being a pastor seemed so far away. It, it was for those old guys. <laughs> it was just like, there was no way. It was nothing that was there in my mind. I was just trying to align myself with the mission and the purpose of God. We began to fill a call to missions and we found ourselves in Budapest, Hungary. It was right after the fall of communism. 
We went in to learn a very difficult language to a people that had lived through 56 years being told there was no God. And boy, all of those children's lessons, all of those lessons that I'd learned out on the streets and in the nursing homes, how to love, how to care, how to present God's word, man, it began to come out as we were missionaries. And it was there that God was developing Can I tell you, it wasn't about a position. It wasn't about a stage. It wasn't about a crowd. It was about I tasted in the promised land. And I was embracing the purposes of God. And there was just something that was saying, God, I will. In the journey, I've learned so much. In the journey, I've developed my gifts. In the journey, I've learned how to be more effective, to become what God would want me to do, to make the impact that he desires to be made. But it was a journey, and it still is a journey. Today, I want to encourage you to take that step. The step of action is a call, and the call is to say, I will. Lord, I will partner with you. Lord, I will align with you. Lord, I will begin to serve you. I will use my gifts for your glory. I want to encourage you today, if you're not serving in ministry, I want to encourage you today to take that step. If you know what your spiritual gifts are and you're not using those gifts, maybe you did it one time, maybe you did in another church, maybe you did in in the countries that you came from, but now you're in a new place. It's a new season. And like Caleb, there's something that's saying, I will. I will, God. You've promised. And God, I will. And I'm going to release what you've given to me. If you're in ministry and you're serving and you know you're where God wants, then that's wonderful. Rejoice, develop it, strengthen it. But if you've not yet taken that step, today I'm here to say, will you let the Caleb spirit rise up within you? Will you say, I will? Our media team developed a little card that you were given when you came in today our communications team, if you take that card out right now, and if you will, on the very top is a place for you to put your name, your email, and your phone number, real simple. If you're watching by live stream, right there on the app and on the webpage, you can click and it'll take you right to this form right here that we're taking into our hands. And today, this is the action step that says, I will. I will align my life. I will embrace your purposes. I will partner with you, oh God. I will. If you'll take this card, another way that you can do this if you want, it's a little easier, is you can text the word serve to the number that you see on the screen right now. But I want to encourage you to look across this card before you leave today and say, Lord, where would you want to use me? Don't pick more than a couple areas that you're interested in, two or three at the most. Begin to say, God, where do you want me to partner with you? Where can I begin to fulfill my life mission? Where can I begin to be used by you to advance your glory and to fulfill your purpose and let the Lord lead you? In a moment, our red carpet team in the building is gonna begin to walk through the aisles. And if you'll take a moment, And just fill this card out. You can pass it down. And what will happen is one of our our staff members will be reaching out to you within the next week or so. And we'll give you an opportunity to find out more about that ministry. To find out, is, is that a place that God wants you to serve for you to be a part of fulfilling his purpose? You know, I learned a long time ago that Sometimes it it might take two or three tries to try to find the right place of, of where God wants you. But don't disconnect. You're looking for fulfillment in your work and ministry for the Lord, and you're looking for fruitfulness where people are being blessed and lives are being changed. And so, Father, where would you have me to serve? Father, I take this card in my hand. And even though our our time has slipped away, I pray in these moments, I pray, oh God, that you will lead this congregation to fulfill the purposes that you have for us. You've called us to be a big voice, 
in a big city. Multiple campuses here in South Florida and Lord, beyond. And Lord, I know that you're raising up an army. That Father, there's warriors. There's a Caleb spirit that's rising up so that we can fulfill the mission and the mandate of God. It's personal and it's corporate. And God, I pray that you'll help us to embrace it. We're at a time, we're at a point where, Lord, you want everyone to take a step. My goal is that, Father, we will far, far surpass what people think in the natural and step into the supernatural. Lord, I pray that there's an acceleration that's coming in souls that are being saved and lives that are being changed and the work of God that's being done. But it requires laborers. It requires those that will take a hold, Father, and will say like, like Caleb, I will, I will, I will. Speak right now, I pray, in your name. And all God's people said, amen and amen and amen. If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.